I think because a lot of people forgot this was a people business. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people that are thinking that real estate is going to be a technology driven business. You will never take the human experience out of selling real estate. Many have tried it. They've tried it in the mortgage world. They've tried it in the real estate world. So there's a lot of people that think, let's put a business person in and run it like a business without caring about the, per the personal experience that they go through. I mean, I mean, how many times have we heard that real estate's all going to be driven online? Nobody will ever deal with a realtor ever again. That's been gone for the last decade and it's mm. never, ever come to fruition. Welcome to Rethink Real Estate. My name is Ben Brady, and this is a real estate podcast aimed to deliver sales strategies, marketing tips, and business insights from industry experts and myself to build a listing-focused business for the future. Let's get into it. Well, folks, welcome back to another episode of Rethink Real Estate. I think that uh, one of the things I'm excited about is that you know, Aaron uh, Hodson, who is our guest on today, Aaron has known me from back in the days where I was actually still in an office in Brisbane, Queensland, all the way to Aaron was one of the key reasons that Kalistra and I moved to the US. But uh, mate, it's uh, wonderful to have you on the podcast, wonderful to connect and wonderful to put you in front of the Rethink Real Estate family. Well, thanks for having me, bud. I mean, I thought I would have been one of the first given how long I've known you, but you know, there was nothing wrong with being later down the list. <laughs> <laughs> Straight into it, boxing gloves up. Speaking of which, mate, you are uh, you used to you used to throw them around a little bit. You've got a bit of a background in boxing. Um, well, I won't say my background was in, well, it kind of was, but I mean, I always wanted to be a rugby player, and I was never quite honestly good enough to be a really good rugby player. But I was, you know, I was pretty handy in the, you know, with the the training that we were doing with boxing and, and training for rugby. So my plan was to go, you know, off to a, a great rugby school as a rugby player, but it never panned out. I managed to get in. On the boxing side of it, but it also taught me that my you know, future careers were not going to be in the professional sporting arena. <laughs> it was yeah, taught you how to get smacked on the chin a few times, which is probably the best lesson for business you can ever have. So, well, yeah. well, I think that, and that's that's really what I want to bring to this podcast today, mate, and the people that are listening is that you've got a pretty decorated story within the real estate world. Um, you've got a pretty uh, pretty big story from the diversity of business that you you're doing now as well. I think that the one thing that I can appreciate is that you've taken your skill set within real estate and you've actually been able to draw parallels in other industries and mm -hmm. and and certainly do that. And I want to dive into that, but I want to get into the nuts and bolts to build the the same level of credibility that I've got for you to the audience is that, mate, you started in Western Australia. Now, I don't want to say anything, anything bad along the lines of Western Australia, because you are, a, you are a Kiwi in, in at true heart from the very beginning, mate, but your real estate, correct, I was. <laughs> yeah, your real estate career started in WA, right? Certainly did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, my, my career in real estate was quite interesting because I mean, I mean, you might even know that, not even know this, but I was actually, I, I, I moved to Western Australia when I was probably 18. Mm. Um, I was actually a coded welder by trade and I worked for Caterpillar and I actually worked for a great company over there called Westrack, who was the main Caterpillar sort of supplier. And I, and I had this really random job where I was a coded welder and they used to fly me into these mine sites when it was too hot for anybody else to work. And I just got absolutely sick to death of it. And, and funny enough, as all good stories start, I bought a rental property and my mortgage guy said, you know what, you should get into real estate. It looks like a fun deal. So that was my entry into real estate because I was so over the job that I was doing. It's making a lot of money, but not, a, not, not the most fun job I've ever had in my life. And that was kind of my foray into real estate. It just seemed like a lot nicer job to wear a suit and a tie and drive around a nice car all day than sit in a you know 45 degree heat welding up mining machinery so it was just a nice transition and I did that when i was 21. 
Well, it's funny that you say that because, um, you know, I, I had uh, David Morse on the podcast who you introduced me into um, and and David mentioned that he was in Maine, right, mm-hmm. was where he was and it was easy to get people to convert over to the real estate industry because they were either outside freezing to death mm-hmm. or they were inside in the air conditioning, you know, warm and actually making cold calls and, and talking to people. So that was really like if anybody knows the mining community within Western Australia, it is a tough, tough gig. Oh, yeah. But when I started in that, I was working six weeks on and one week off, and that was my work roster. And there was no days off. You just flip shifts. So the motivation to get out of it was pretty high then. It was pretty high. <laughs> so Roy Weston was the company that you started with, or, or was there a company before that? No, it was Roy Weston. Um, they were, a, you know, pretty, they weren't sort of like a national franchise. And Roy Weston was an old old stalwart in the West Australian real estate industry, and it was really just a license. You know, there wasn't kind of like the same franchise set up and. You know, then Harcourts came in and purchased that that group, um, and that's sort of how I got ended up getting affiliated with Harcourts back in the day. Yeah, yeah. So, so coming breaking that down, mate. You were an agent for how long, and then you were a business owner as well. Yep. So I was an agent for uh, probably just over a decade, um, and then got super smart and bought the real estate group that I worked for. So I ended up buying the office to discover that you don't make anywhere near as much money being the owner as what you do being the agent. So um, <laughs> the goal was to grow a, a big group, and we ended up having um, six offices. And I think for quite some time there, we were the number one office in the country for Harcourts, and um, then sort of sold out and went on to some other things with the corporate side of things. So yeah, and I was Yeah, there. so le- yeah, let's talk about that transition mate. So obviously you've gone into the sales side of it, you've then gone into business ownership, the natural progression. But, you know, and with all due respect is that you had no exposure to the corporate real estate world prior to them purchasing, you know, what was Roy Weston and and what and what ended up being Harcourts West and is still Harcourts Western Australia. You were the sort of stepping stone that they had onto the west coast of Australia mm-hmm. and and I guess that then you got involved into Harcourts International and your primary role was actually international expansion at that point. Mm-hmm. How did that come to be, mate? Like that's a guy from New Zealand who was a welder, then was a real estate agent, then was a business owner into then international um, expansion for one of the largest real estate companies in the world. Uh, well, probably not at that time before you were doing it, but still. You know, it's interesting because, I mean, we, we always like to say that these great sort of turning points in our life come from a lot of great planning. You know, it's a goal that we set ourselves earlier in the day and, Quite honestly, this is where I can claim that I'm an Australian because this is a very Australian thing to say. It's like, you know, I mean, you know the, the leaders of Harcourts really well. And I remember for, for probably two or three years, Mike Green and I, whenever we'd go to a conference, you'd always have a couple of beers and go, you know, when you're over this, we should look at taking this thing global. It's always about four or five beers into it when you start having that conversation. So it seemed like a, you know, it was a great idea at the time. And, you know, when I made the decision to sell out, I had no intention of, you know, I was going to go do something completely different with my life. And I think I reached out to Mike just to sort of thank him for what, you know, what we'd done. And um, he sort of posed the idea, would you be interested in, you know, making a move over here to, to, Queen, to Queensland and look at maybe doing some international expansion? And, you know, it's like a bull or a red flag with me, an opportunity like that. So, yeah, I, I think two weeks later, I packed up everything and moved to Brisbane and sort of took over the international side of things for Harcourts. And quite honestly, no idea what I was doing. You know, I'd built a great real estate business, but... You know, the whole international expansion thing was a completely foreign territory for me, but, you know, people are pretty much similar all over the world. You just got to have a good value prop to sell. 
Yeah, I, I think that well, that speaks to you know the the nature of what real estate is is that it is a it, I think that it gets to a point where there's so many different attributes of it every day. You sprinkle on top of that the corporate element of real estate and then the international side of things. What were the countries that you were responsible for bringing on? Because there's 11 countries now. I think that there was South Africa, China. There was so many of them that you were yeah, responsible China, for bringing South deals. Africa. I mean, we had a lot that didn't go anywhere, Ben. <laughs> yeah, we had. Mm. A, I spent a little bit of time in India with with Paul Wright, and you know, there seemed like an incredible opportunity there to realize that it was just something we didn't want to touch so it's like like any good growth expansion now you've got to do a lot of research before you know determine whether it's going to be something that's going to work but the ones that we had a big influence obviously um, Indonesia was a big part of it that was already there but there was a lot of cleanup involved in that obviously the US China South Africa um, who else did we have going along at that time I think we had a few other random places in you know Zambia and places like that which I don't think exist anymore yeah. But honestly, at that point, it was just really digging up opportunities, you know, and yeah. creating relationships in, in other countries was always giving us opportunities elsewhere as well. So even some of the ones that have come on now, those conversations had been going for two or three years before anybody sort of made the commitment. Um, but obviously, when I got to the US, I fell in love with the place. So the, 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 the sort of drive to do any more international, international expansion kind of disappeared because, you know, I could see a bigger opportunity here. And yeah, I love the place, love the opportunities, sort of love the flexibility of business. I did find in a lot of the other countries it was a little bit restrictive on the things that you could do. Got you know, and I think this model, the Harcourts model, was very flexible to make it work for people. And unfortunately, yeah. in some countries that was a little challenging. So let's talk about the transition of then going from the international expansion and having the whole world at your feet, so to speak, and then and then finding coming over to North America and and seeing the opportunity here. There's no doubt because you and I have done, both done the same thing is that you exposed me to the North American opportunity as well. And then you just it, it's honestly like drinking from a fire hose. You know the the, the, the premise of getting one percent of the marketplace can be bigger than anything else internationally. You know it's it's I would say it's the it's the number one established real estate market in the world you know mm. by by country mile from a volume perspective but then a price point but then the dollar perspective there's all these positives mm. but I, I guess that the challenge that the challenge that you had in front of you though is starting from scratch in one of the biggest markets in the world regardless of value proposition mate you moved here and mm. basically mike said to you hey good luck mm-hmm. and and you grew the network to i think we were i think you got it to like 30 odd offices southern mm-hmm. california based and and a little bit of northwest stuff and everything like that before before uh you handed over the reins but mm-hmm. i guess that what was the what was going through your mind as you did it was it excitement or was, or, or was it daunting or like take us through the journey complete not a fear it was like i mean i, I mean hey, we can all be brave and say actually what i'd probably be better off sharing is what i what i did wrong and i think the the you know, not understanding the size of the market. I mean, you can see numbers on paper and it looks pretty impressive, but, you know, sort of coming from the markets where we worked in New Zealand, Australia, and the smaller population markets, you're a lot more careful about what you do because you don't get a lot of opportunities. And I think what I, the mistake that I made was I was very, very focused on where we were trying to go and not on where we were at that that exact moment, Mm. you know, because it was almost like there's just so many opportunities. It's kind of like, you know, bull in a china shop. Where can we go? What can we do? And I feel like, that was part of it, but I think understanding what the opportunity was was something that I wish I knew a little bit more about before we dived okay. into it. Um, so, give me an example. Like, give me give me an example of that. What do you What do you mean by that? Like, well, just how quickly things can escalate if you get it right. You okay. Know, how quickly you can get to the end result if you actually get the starting point right. And I do think that's a fundamental business mistake of a lot of people as well. Is we're always looking for that million dollar idea. 
where there's a lot of hundred dollar ideas that'll make you a millionaire. And I think we were looking for the big win, you know, the big group or things like that, where the, 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 the reality of what we do is we take care of people, you know, it's a community mm. and it's that type of thing. And I, I think if we were looking more at the finding the right people, individuals and going down that right direction, you know, it might've been a little different because I think looking for those big wins, it puts a lot of emotional sort of business pressure. You know, there's obviously a lot more costs involved and things like that. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of days where I felt really comfortable about what we were doing, but it was that nervousness of, you know, the opportunity, which was very, very motivating, you know, because yeah. you, you knew there was no end to the, to the size of the opportunity, whereas a lot of markets, you're kind of capped on how far you can go. Yeah. You know, like the markets in South Africa, there's not really a big chance of getting more than three or 400 offices because yeah. you know, that's a huge market. But you have three or 400 offices here and you're still a small player in the industry. So do you think do you think that the size of the size of the opportunity and the expectations from those that from a leadership perspective put a certain type of pressure on on you that sort of made you force some decisions that maybe you wouldn't have done in the if you were given some more time and leeway? Um, probably not. I mean, I, I, I mean, I had one of the great things. You, didn't, you know, the pressure wasn't there. I think I put more pressure on myself than I did on anybody else. Right. It was like because. You know, you and I are very similar like that. There's, you know, enough's never enough. Like, there's always how much further can we go or how big can we get? Um, there's a lot of ego behind that. You know, we always want to do things that nobody else has done. And, you know, I honestly think that the biggest, you know, motivator for me was I was constantly told that won't, you can't do it. You know, no non-US company's ever gone there and succeeded. And so that was kind of like the motivation. Um, no, I don't think so. I think I put more pressure on myself than anybody else did, to be honest with you, but so. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and it made it's it's funny going back through and reflecting of this. You you and I have done it a couple of beers deep before, and and now now doing it now doing it uh, somewhat sober. I'm, I'm yeah. assuming. Okay, oh, it is oh, only. Oh, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's time. It's five o'clock somewhere. Yeah, but, um, It'll be a very yeah. <laughs> but I but I guess that I guess that mate the 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 expansion then that you had um in in the real estate side of things and then the cadence that you put on this business um was was pretty good but it but where did it get to a point where you're like okay you know because i remember you sitting down with Kalistra and i one day you know we'd moved over here with the auction you know side of things and everything like that you you definitely had felt a responsibility to Kalistra and i but then yeah. you're like hey look I, I i need to go do something else what was that turning point um at that point um that's a good question, but boy, this is like Dr. Phil. I feel like there's <laughs> going on here. Getting deep. You know, you Getting think deep. A lot, but I, I mean, I just, I mean, honestly, but I felt like I hadn't done enough for myself. Okay. You know, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm turning 50 this year and, you know, obviously wasn't back then, but I, I kind of felt like I hadn't done enough for myself. You know, I had not, and because I'd sort of become known for getting into the startup, getting things set up. And, you know, as an entrepreneurial person, you're kind of cutting yourself out every time you got something started and moved on. Yeah. And so I sort of kind of felt like I wasn't doing enough for myself. And I, I had certain areas of what I sort of thought I was very good at that I kind of wanted to sort of try for myself. And, you know, it's definitely not a decision you make lightly. Um, you know, and hey, we've all made mistakes and we've all gone down some paths. And, you know, I just felt like it was time for me to, to give myself a, a good shot at doing something on my own. I've been in Parkwoods for nearly 16 years at that point. So it wasn't, yeah, fair. it wasn't a new gig. I'd been there a long time from a business owner, you know, living in Brisbane and running the international side of things, then moving, going to all these different countries, you know, spending a lot of time in China, India, South Africa, and then coming to the US. And I just sort of felt an opportunity, you know, there was a little bit more I could do here. 
It's funny how you feel like you get stuck behind an opportunity. Like I certainly, I certainly get that, you know, like I, you know, with the auction opportunity that we have you here is that you kind of get stuck within the cadence of your own business. And, and you think that, you know, segueing out of it can, can build something. You think you can offer so much more if given another opportunity or exposed to another network or another, another group or whatever it is. So I totally, I can totally see that, but then mate, you sort of stepped out of it and, and, and ultimately you then sort of hit the ground for lack of better terminology, just running, you know, the rubber hit the road immediately from a coaching perspective, not only for high performance real estate people, but then also your speaking career. Like, uh, like mate, I remember that I remember speaking to you that you were on a plane every day for like a month at one point, opposed to you, you being there. So, and like going East coast, going Arizona, going, going different countries, even back to New Zealand and Australia to speak things along those lines. I, I guess that what, um, what what was it like not giving yourself really a break? You didn't have one. <laughs> oh, I did. The first 30 days, there was a lot of what the hell's happened? What, oh, shit, what have I done? There was a lot of that for the first month. But, you know, I think just for me, it was really understand that the that my sort of life and things that I've always done has been built around the relationships that I've created with people. So I had some people around me that gave me some opportunities to try it, you know, to see if it was something that I liked. And, you know, I did a couple of great events and then sort of got picked up and it snowballed from there. But you know, funny enough, entering into the coaching world wasn't actually something I had any intention of doing. I mean, right. sure, some of the consultancy work, um, but coaching's coaching. We know that everybody's got an opinion on how they do things. So, you know, predominantly the thing that I wanted to do was share a way of doing things better in business without it being, you know, the next bright and shiny object. You know, you and I both know this for a fact, the foundation protects everything of where you go. And, you know, flash in the pan success is quite common, but it was more about teaching people the grind of what it takes to stay at the top, you know, what it takes to build a business that works out that way. So a big part of what I ended up doing was helping a lot of companies restructure the business through changes in the market, because this was back in, you know, when things started to get a little bit funky. So it was just helping people sort of restructure. I'll tell you the first thing I did learn though, Ben, was I'm a lot smarter looking at somebody else's business from the outside than I am looking at my own from the inside. Wow. Okay. And I, so it's, and I think that's probably one of the things that I'm the most grateful for for my career is, yep, I made a ton of mistakes, but it was the most valuable education that I could have ever had because how you fix those things and how you recover and how you keep your business going, it kind of gave me some assets, you know, because having been through those trenches and done that, you know, launch companies in, in different countries and, you know, fix things that weren't going well, it just gave you a bit of a different view on how things should be run in business. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but wanted to ask a quick favor. If you're seeing any value in what we're providing, we'd love it if you could like, follow, or subscribe, whether you're listening on a podcast or watching us on YouTube. One step further is that if you can think of anybody in your community that this episode could help, we'd love it if you could share it to them so we could cast our message further and broaden our audience. Thanks again. Do you do you think that your third party view of looking into others and being very successful at dissecting what's what's wrong and what's right and everything like that is it is it because of there's a less um, we speak about this in the real estate deal there's less attachment to the outcome hundred percent yes I'm not emotionally connected to it I mean hey my key to success in anything when I'm you know talking to anybody is the day you can remove the emotional component of your business you start thinking logically you start thinking more process driven about what it is, the result's always going to be different. I mean, you and I both know this, a lot of people have failed miserably because they've been emotionally connected to something, mm. you know, not knowing when to walk away, not knowing when to make a decision because they're so emotionally invested in what they're trying to do. It makes them think a little irrationally about what the result is. 
I mean, how yeah. many times have you spoken to a realtor that says, I'm not stopping this because I've spent so much money on it. It's been going for so long. I need to see it through. Yeah. Although it's proved to them 10 times over that it's a massive failure. I think we, yeah, regardless of real estate, I think that so many things that you can see from a third party perspective of going, wow, okay, there's an emotional attachment there. They should let that go. Yeah. Well, I always talk about it. It's like, you've got to get the emotions out of it because you're going to make it, make a decision based on like an emotional reaction to it. Like, who am I going to hurt? What's going to, what's going to happen? And when there's an emotional connection to it, your speed of getting out of it's never there. Like you want to hang on as much as you can. Yep. Whereas when you look at things a little bit more economically, like if I keep doing this, it's going to put me further and further into a hole. So that gives me the ability to look at something from a non-emotional standpoint. You can be a lot more honest and truthful with people about what their budgets look like, what their cuts need to look like. And, you know, it makes a, you know, because my income is not dependent on it. And obviously yeah. when you let that out of it, a lot of things change pretty quickly. So... I guess that the, the to keep on track with your story, mate, and then I really want to get you some of your opinions on some of the localized market-driven stuff being in, you know, the mortgage industry and the agent industry of real estate. But I guess that, you know, you then found yourself pretty quickly, not only doing stuff in real estate, but you found yourself pretty quickly in the mortgage side of the business as well. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, real estate and mortgage is probably about 60% of what we, you know, what I'm doing now. And the business consulting side of things, we've got you know, we've got clients in the you know, hospitality industry and the medical side of things. And, and that's just really because the big focus of me is people dealing with people. You know, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter whether you're selling a car or selling somebody a face cream. It's the client interaction becomes the biggest part of it. And so I think for me, once I found the thing that I was really passionate about, that I knew I had a real point of difference on, staying focused on that was, was a big change for me. So, you know, so whether it's real estate or anywhere else, I think real estate's more prominent with the relationship because on paper we're all exactly the same i mean no, yeah. no realtor's really different yeah, you know, yeah. and so we try to focus on things like that where the reality of it is is the only asset we've got is who we are as people so it was sort of really focusing on that a little bit more than you know here's the new lead gen system that's going to change your business which we all know we're full of shit when we say that it's, it's yeah yeah, no, it's right. It's it's like it, I often say that you know it's you, you see the audience typically you know clam up a little bit when you're like, okay, guys. So when it comes down to the marketing conversation, really what you should be saying to the sellers is that hey, we're going to put it in the MLS and it's going to syndicate, and that's basically all I'm going to do because right. that's what the only thing that anyone can do, you know, in order to get the property exposed. Essentially, I'm just here based on whether or not you like me or you don't. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, right, and hey. We all know a lot of people that have been very, very successful just because they're nice people. They not, might not be terribly skilled at what they do, but you get over that if you trust and respect somebody. Yeah, no doubt, mate. No doubt, you know, indeed. We try to sell the skill and the experience, but nobody gives a crap about that. I mean, they want to know if you're going to take care of me. Do I like you? Do I trust you? Can I have an honest conversation with you? So then then you took another then, then you took another path, mate, where you were – I, I don't know whether or not you like, cause I, I didn't see you calm down in any way, shape or form from a travel perspective, but you then put yourself on paper and, and I don't mean that physically. I don't mean that like most people then write a book or anything along those lines. You actually then took the structure of what you have seen within the real estate industry and mortgage industries. And so, and you created um, sellwell.com, which is a self-paced learning platform and a marketing platform and a resource platform for the industries that you mm -hmm. operate in. Mate, how difficult, like, like from speaking from one person to another, you know that like I've tried to do the same with the auction business, with the accreditation programs and all of that type of stuff. It's probably one of the most difficult things that I've ever found. And that's mm -hmm. maybe because of my lack of academic, you know, um, accolades i guess but but did you're you find that difficult free, you're lucky you're free you're like me <laughs> <laughs> so how how did you find that process what made you do it and how did you find that process well funny enough it wasn't something we planned on doing and it was and it, and it just happened one day where 
you know, doing all these events and talking to a lot of realtors. And, and, and it was sort of like a light bulb went off one day and I thought, man, our industry is really screwed up because the day that you get into it, historically, these are what your two choices are. Go and get every last dollar you've, get, you've got and invest it in lead gen, which we know is going to make you fail. Or you go and spend $1,000, $1,500 a month and get someone to teach you how to do it that's never done what you're trying to do. Those are your two options. And so my thought process was we need to fix this because the starting point in this industry sucks. The starting point in this industry is forcing people into financial hardship and it's not giving people the leverage they need to grow. And so the, the whole philosophy around bringing Sellwell was giving people a foundation to run a very, very good business. There's nothing in there to buy. There's no lead gen opportunities. It shows people the exact structure of what they need to do to build a consistent, um, ongoing business that constantly keeps building. It's how to take care of people. It's not how to focus on the next deal. It's how to, you know, when somebody gets into your business, how do we leverage those into more opportunities? A wonderful thing that I learned from, you know, being part of the Harcourts group, it was about the experience. And, mm. and and I think for me, that was solving a problem. It was like, I saw too many realtors, you know, a year into their business, like, you know, struggling to pay their mortgages. And that's our fault because the advice that they'd been given up until that point was designed to send them broke. Yeah. It was designed just to tell them something in an individual moment so then they'd leave them alone. I, I just the, the the throw the shit against the wall to see what sticks of this industry from a leadership capacity, I think, is a bit of an epidemic within within the culture of the industry. There's no question. But then and as we dive into now, mate, some opinions of the of 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 the industry, because you know, I think that you know, they might hear a, you know, in a New Zealand Australian, I'm going to give you that New Zealand Australian hybrid. Okay. Depending on what we're talking about. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then an Aussie talking about this. And then, and from a North America perspective, they're like, oh, of course you've got that opinion. But, mate, the, the, what is, I know that this is a broad, this is a vague question. It's a shit question to ask a mate. But what, what, what is your opinion of real estate in the States? Yeah, wow. You gotta be careful who you offend of this. I mean, I think here's here's what I think about the real estate industry of this. I mean, it's. I mean, if I ever created a um, a very average tech product to sell, I'd want to be selling it to the real estate industry, and because the industry for me is designed to keep people on the verge of. I mean, let's put it this way: they class a huge producer, however you want to put that term. I don't know a lot of them do it. Some that probably does fifteen to twenty deals a year, which ironically is kind of medium income for the country. You're not somebody that's making a million dollars a year. You're probably so, so it's become very custom to awarding or recognizing mediocrity. Yeah, okay. You know, and I think it hasn't transitioned into being a real career. I do think that's one of the strengths of the Australian and New Zealand markets, that being a realtor is a career. It's a full-time gig. You have to run a business to support a business and the average income of the realtors over there is way higher because that's just the, the, the nature of the business. I think the US markets really struggled to transition out of it being a part-time thing. I mean, it still has that thought process that the retired housewife's gig did go and do. Um, and it's just sort of struggled to get out of that. But, you know, having the split from the buyers, listing agents, like that, it's quite a dysfunctional sort of an industry. Yeah. Um, but it's also designed to be a place that sort of keeps people going, you know, throwing in these little products that people buy where reality of is very few of them are actually going to help them change their business. So, my sort of opinion on what the market's like is the day we can transition it from a, a hobby into a career, things will change dramatically. I think this market's definitely going to help. I think the last stats that I saw, we've lost nearly 800,000 realtors this year, which is not as impressive as it sounds because it went, went up nearly a million and a half through 2020 and 2021. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a hell of a job if you put the energy into it. Actually, let me sum it up a little bit different. I think the day that realtors treat this like a job, 
not a hobby, is the day that things will change. And I think that's the biggest thing that I work on with people is this is not a job where you can show up at 11 o'clock and hope to get lucky. You know, I ran my business 8.30 to 6 o'clock every day as a business and everything you do outside of it. And I think I can probably test it into you in this. And this is something that I'd always say about you is if you wanted a job like Ben, you've got to try and work as many hours as Ben does. <laughs> that's where most people fall off. There's a people yeah. that knew the hours that we put into growing our businesses, they wouldn't even touch it. They'd never do it. No, they never see. They never see. They never seen the behind the scenes. They see what's just in front of them. But, but I guess that I, I guess that. Do you think that there's? Do you think there's an opportunity for that change made? And and why I say that to you is that, you know, we've just gone through. I believe one of the toughest marketplaces to be a business owner. Um, in in I think for the last three years, everyone says the market's great and all that type of mm -hmm. stuff. And yes, there was a lot of money made, but the one thing that happened in the industry is the cannibalization of the commission structure. Mm -hmm. You know, we we come from a world where fifty fifty brokerage gets 50%, the agent gets 50% is normal. Now, don't get me wrong, it's probably much, much higher now since things have changed, but we're here where like, oh, there's companies out there that you pay them $7,000 and that's your cap for the year, or you pay them $100 a transaction, or you don't pay them anything and you just give them your title and escrow business or whatever it is. It just cannibalizes the industry from a value perspective and nobody is loyal to anything anymore or any brand or anything. That's where I lose a little bit of faith in things based on what has happened to it. What's your opinion of, of where it's gone, mate, from the cannibalization of that? Gee, so for me, it's, gone, it's come to a, a quick cash out and let's get in, let's get out, let's make our money. I mean, you and I could probably list four or five companies that we've seen in the last decade that have gone in, gone bankrupt, and you could have predicted that at the beginning. I mean, hmm. I mean, this is one of the downsides. Is there's a lot of these models that have been rolled out in the US right now are based solely on having thousands and thousands of agents to actually make the business work. If they're below that number, that brokerage is in jeopardy of going bankrupt. You know, when you've got really low caps, you've got things like that, you are really, you know, you're dependent on a massive number of realtors to make that work. Where theoretically, the right business model should be, what do you need to do to add 20% of the bottom line of the realtors you've got, rather than trying yeah. to find 20% more? I mean, however, but when you've got a cap on the business and there's a certain point where you make no more money on the agent, that model's never going to fly. Because why would you invest in helping somebody grow that after they've paid you seven grand, there's no more money in it? So really what that model drives is it drives the broker never to want to invest any time or energy or money into the agent because there's a there's a very short use period, of, you know, period where you're of use to me and then over and above that, there's no use. There's no money being made and my want to invest in your growth is gone. Yeah, so, so that's where, so that's where the those models as long as they exist there's always going to be this high volume element of people that see this not as a profession but more as a hobby not even a hobby but more of a quick buck that can be made mm -hmm. and that is the the challenge in it all i think that the the thing that we looked at with the brokerages that we own but then also the ones that we operate with is that you know i've got our conference coming up shortly and i'm you know trying to look at some of the thesis around recruitment because certainly i believe that you know not many people moved in the period of time when they're all making money or or certain companies that don't need to be named are giving cash out checks that have clearly proven that it's wrong like i have a i have a very popular saying amongst our group is that you know compass spent 1.8 billion dollars to figure out that the traditional real estate brokerage is the only way to make money not the way that they were doing it you know i could have told them that in the beginning and saved 1.8 years ago ben i mean that traditional <laughs> model has always been there if you want to know what works look at the models that have been around for 30 years and have survived tough markets have been through downturns 
And unfortunately, I call these 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 brokerages Minutemen. They're very, very good in the minute. They're very, very great when the market's flying. Things are selling in three days. We can we can live off quick transactions. How many discount brokerages have you seen disappear the minute we get to 60 days plus on the market? Because you financially can't afford to do what you need to do to move properties. So, hey, all due respect to them, great. You get in, you make your money and you move on, but it is not a sustainable long-term model because market conditions will change and put a lot of financial pressure on the business, providing you've got thousands and thousands of agents. So, you know, I'm working with a few of those right now that as soon as we saw that little tip over the edge with the market where things went from, you know, 10 to 15 days and now we're over 60, financially, it's impossible to fix because you can't change caps. Um, we've got a lot of them now that are adding new fees and now people, it's not the cheap option anymore. So we're starting to move. It's like, you know, we've got to start thinking about the person first. Is the model sustainable to get them through to the end? But in the same respect, I mean, people are always going to jump. They're always yeah. going to move. We lose faith in leadership. You know, we look for another lead opportunity. We create another relationship. And that's just the nature of the business of real estate. People are always going to move and very few will stay at the same place for, you know, a, historically a really long period of time. Yeah, I think and, and, the only people I know that stayed with the same company my entire career. Yeah, no, that's yeah, hundred percent right. Like, like the shock and awe that I get when I've been tell people that it's almost been twenty years that I've been with Harcourts. Mm-hmm. You know, is that they're like, oh my god, you know, like. However, the the thing that. So, so the thing that I see within the industry, mate, I'd love your thought on this, is that the institutional money that comes in from an investor perspective and then the leaders of those businesses, it's almost rewarding people. It's almost rewarding people that have never been in the industry. Like there's a multitude of leaders, mate. You said this before, is that there's a great deal of training out there in the space from people that have never actually done it. They just see a quick buck to be made or a, mm-hmm. they can they can come up with a thesis and they might be able to sell that. The same with some of the leaders of 99% of these huge, real estate conglomerates they've never been in it from a ground grassroots perspective and they might you might be able to say that well no you the people need to have you know uh, you know masters in business to actually understand how to get these structures and whatever it may be but real estate is such a different beast we see it in the training space we see it in the real estate space why do you think that there's these inexperienced people within the real estate community that get these big opportunities mm. i think because a lot of people forgot this was a people business <laughs> now, there's a lot of people that are thinking that real estate is going to be a technology driven business. You will never take the human experience out of selling real estate. Many have tried it. They've tried it in the mortgage world. They've tried it in the real estate world. So there's a lot of people that think, let's put a business person in and run it like a business without caring about the, per- the personal experience that they go through. I mean, I mean, how many times have we heard that real estate's all going to be driven online? Nobody will ever deal with a realtor ever again. That's been going for the last decade and it's mm. never, ever come to fruition because the whole process of transaction real estate is a very emotional experience that people go through. You take that out and all of a sudden we become absolutely worthless and that's why they don't last. And I think I see the value behind it if you're a publicly traded company wanting to have somebody in there with that sort of economic background, totally understand it, but it's been proven time and time again, it's not always the right way. When you drive profits over and above the performance of what the business is gonna be doing now and long term, you become another minute man. You're very good in the minute, but the minute that market changes, you start to lose a lot of traction in what you're doing. I and mean, we've seen that so many times. Yeah. I mean, you look at the people that have been running these companies for years, the Gary Kellers of the world, the Mike Greens, those people, they've always been focused on the people. Yep. Doing the right thing by the people and you will get through some tough times because if you're not focusing on the on your people, the minute you start making a, a strategic market move based on finances, your people are out the door as quick as look at you. And we've seen that happen three or four times in the last 12 months. 
Well, it's it's funny though, mate. Like you've got to have a level of tenacity to stick with the, the with that principle, though. Um, and it's tough. It really is. It, it's tested. It, you get tested daily in this industry. Like as a as a group, we are all about organic growth. Like so, if you look at ninety percent of our business owners now, I'm actually doing this thing for our company at conference where we look at the top fifty people. And out of the top fifty, we've got forty seven of them that started with us from nothing and have grown either to be in the top fifty or as a business owner now. So we get a lot of organic growth within that. However, you know that makes me really happy in the moment, but the amount of times that we have been shat on when we have put everything on the line or, or poured our complete heart out for people and they've gone, okay, fuck you, I'm going over here for 5% more mm-hmm. after we have legitimately built them from scratch. Mm-hmm. You know, you lose a little bit of faith. That that tenacity needs to needs to be there. Mate, what, like what is your opinion of having to have that tenacity though? Like, like what do you think keeps these leaders going in that space? I mean, funny enough, that's the downside of having such a huge population is you can get shat on quite a few times and get over it pretty quickly. But it's almost like you trying to convince me that we should still be in love with every girl from we've ever had in our lives. I mean, at some point it runs its time. You lose your interest and you move on. Relationships break down. I think what we should be probably thinking of is what was the value we had in that short term of the relationship. And I, I still swear by it whenever I'm talking to anybody about a business, when you hire incredible people, you've always got a time frame. Actually, funny enough, I do believe it was Mike Green that shared this quote with me early in my career, and it's very, very true. He said, your people are always leaving. It's just yeah. a matter of when. Yeah, and it's yeah. True. And I think the day that we think people will stay with us forever is the day they go. I mean, I've lost some incredible people in my business who you knew you got them to that level through the education. But I think we should also be proud of ourselves that we could teach people to be so good at what they do. They had options to go elsewhere. You know, there's, you see these quotes around the, you know, what if we spend all this money on our people and they leave? And then the response was, what if we don't and they stay? <laughs> That's <laughs> golden. That's really good. I'm stealing that. That's fantastic. Uh, it's the like- truth. I mean, you've got to know that they're going to go. I mean, you and I are like that as well. Opportunities present themselves. You consider what all those opportunities are. Like life is about growth. Very few people will be complacent enough to stay in the same job for 30 or 40 years. You know, yeah. I think human nature's changed a little bit now it's more about that constant growth and to see the you know all these technology products that are coming in where we can make a lot of money doing those sort of things everything that's in front of us now is always about perpetual growth how do we keep going so hey people will leave for a lot less than five percent you know it's it's actually almost pompous and and unfair to think that to expect somebody to stay actually you know like it's it's but you know it is it's it's one of those things that you know you know, you know Kevin quite well, our business partner in in a lot of the offices and that, that, you know, Kevin's gotten very comfortable over the last, you know, couple of years of realizing that we are a transitional stepping stone in our business. We choose to be a more expensive split, a more expensive business, but then we have to be comfortable then playing the, playing the role of building. And then once they get to a couple of hundred thousand dollars GCI, we don't make any sense to them anymore, yep. right? They've, we've taught them how to do it. They move on unless they are really attached to the auction concept and want that mm-hmm. in, in their business, which then they move into business ownership. There has to be a segue at some point. There is a, and that's where we've had to find our niche in the marketplace of mm-hmm. growing people into something that they want. Yeah. I just don't see like, and that's, it's a funny thing. It's almost like a soulless company. Some of these bigger online cap models mm-hmm. where what's the end goal here? Well, interesting. You just sort of touched on something there, which has, has kind of triggered a thought in my head is, I mean, I think, and, and you go and meet with, I mean, you go and find any business owner in the real estate world, whether they be a CEO, whether they be a, 
a branch manager, whatever they may be. When it comes to recruitment, their sole focus is to go and find the big producer that they can get instant revenue from. Mm-hmm. And there's very few models in this world anywhere that actually has a model set up to, to cater for someone that's producing a serious amount of income. That's probably two, three percent of our entire industry. Eighty percent of our industry is made up with realtors doing probably three to five deals a year. That's the industry we should be catering for. And you know, with with the model of Harcourts, with the training and the auctions and everything you have going. It's incredible for that pocket, but I think most people organically want the high producers, but they're always going to have a very limited time frame. They're going to go to the compasses with the big checks, and as soon as that check runs out, they'll move on to the next one. They've actually got something to sell. Ironically, you can really make that quite similar sort of transition to the mortgage world. You know, there's a lot of sign-on bonuses and things like that in the mortgage world, and people will get through their, their guarantees, and then they'll go into another company and get another one because they're taking their volume with them. And unfortunately, we've got enough money in this industry where those people are very easily bought. Mm. Whereas I personally feel like the money in our industry is made by helping those 80% of people become 10 to 15 to 20 deal a year realtors. And they build that respect along the way. But we're also not creating multi-millionaires. We're creating people with security and transaction in their business where they can actually help their families and grow. We should be focusing on the right people. If 80% of our industry is made up of them, that's the people that we, we should be focusing on. You know, they're not going to cap in the first month. You know, they're going to lean on you for the support. They're going to use your stuff. They're going to be thankful for things that you do for them. And I think you and I have both made the mistake in our lives where we've recruited some people that have been incredible high performers, thinking it was going to be the game changer in our business and it was the worst bloody decision we ever made. Oh, I mean, we're speaking about something that I've sort of looked into pretty deeply, and that I want to, I want to, I want to sort of try and transition to our business partners. Is that you know the reality is is that technically, if you look at it, um, we make less de- less money out of the people that come in that are already established realtors because one, um, I believe that the the CFO of Compass that left actually made a statement that eighty seven percent of people that then join the company would have a, a worse qu- sorry. Then their following quarter when they joined the company would be worse than their previous four averages um, mm-hmm. that they did in the other quarters. That's why they actually, that's the, his justification of why they did the signing bonuses. Because what was happening, if they weren't doing signing bonuses, the agent would then turn back around and blame the company for their lack of success right. within the preceding quarter. And mm-hmm. I like it, that, that made a great deal of sense, but obviously it hasn't worked long term in, in that notion. But it's just the, the, the getting them on the journey and keeping them on the journey the whole way through is a is a tough is a tough thing from an emotional standpoint to then put so much time and effort in just to then see them move on yeah. that's the that's the toughest thing that to get people through their mind that you are just the stepping stone you're not the end goal for these people yep. which is yep. difficult to get through yeah and i think for us it's like you've got to take advantage of that stepping stone the minute you get it you know you bring in a higher producer you get and do whatever you can with that person for a very short window of time um, you know, and I, I just think it's one of those flaws in our, but I think it's a business issue in general. I mean, yeah. you know, like, I'll do it if you do it for me type of thing. And then eventually the relationship burns out. But, you know, I think we're probably going to see a lot more changes in the next 12 months. I think there's some models out there that think they've really got it dialed in, which is the, the writings on the wall, just from a survivability standpoint. Yeah. You know, trying to find outside money to invest in a real estate company right now might not be the easiest thing, you know, out there. But I think also real estate companies need to remember where their money comes from. Yeah. And I think if, going back to the question you asked me, what's wrong with it? Real estate as an industry has forgotten that our money comes from us selling houses. Our money doesn't come from selling realtors products that don't bloody work. It doesn't come from selling CRMs that are just so confusing that nobody uses knows how to use them. 
It doesn't come from you know penny pinching on every little transaction they do. Our money comes from selling houses. And the more houses we sell, the more money we should make. But mate, this is the other part. Like again, I want to I want to talk about I, I want to get into talking to you about mortgage and the and the space that is at the moment and the way you've coached some people through because it's been tough. But I want to make a quick point on this and I want your opinion on it because the thing that pisses me off about our industry as well, and it does really frustrate me, is that you see these brokers out there that have got these big teams and they're they're, they're very carefree. All they're doing is buying leads from Zillow's for, Zillow on a buyer side, and they're trying to remove themselves of so far away from the transaction. It's not funny. They're trying to remove every point of that, every part of it. Every like they don't even want to have to do anything. They think buying a lead and putting a team in place so that then they can you know do all of work and then get a check on the end of it. Like it's that separation from the deal that I think is this training that is going on in the industry at the moment that doesn't rely on the transaction of the people and the experience with the people that could really see the soul sucked out of the industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God, what a great! I'm going to share a conversation that I had, which is exactly about this yesterday. I was, I was doing a bit of a, a consult with a, a potential new client. I will happily say it's not going to go much further than the original consultation because um, there was an expenditure of about $35,000 a month in lead gen. Um, so I said, just run me through the structure of the lead gen. And clearly in the first consultation, there's always a little bit of ego involved. You know, like I'm the greatest realtor you've ever met type of thing. So I said, well, just run me through this. So you spend $35,000 a month on lead gen. Yep. What's your... What's your biggest expense? Hands down, lead gen. It was 10 times more expensive than anything else. So I said, run me through the process. Great. Well, we've got two ISAs that we employ, and all they do is sit there and dial the leads. That's what they do. They All day long, they're sitting there dialing the leads. And I said, right, let's put this into, into perspective. Your biggest expenditure, your most dangerous thing in your business is your $35,000 a month you're spending on lead gen, correct? He goes, yep, 100%. And I said, then why the hell would you put your cheapest employee with the worst experience ever to be the first port of contact on the most expensive thing in your business? It's a phenomenal question. That is the dumbest thing ever. I said, if it costs me money and it's predicted on me actually making money in my business, the very first person they're going to talk to is the person who gives them the most confidence about where they're going. And also understanding how the market works right now, 90% of those leads you're getting aren't ready to buy today. And all your ISA is doing is looking for someone that wants to sell in this moment. And where the real issue comes is everybody's driving their business at the moment on instant gratification. If I don't get what I want for you at this moment, I'm going to move on to somebody else. Those people are walking away from $150,000, $200,000 a month in commission because they're not getting what they want today. It's an amazing point. Mm-hmm. Instant gratification is a real problem in, in every sector of this but business. I'm the prime king. I know exactly what it's like. I'll buy the shittiest product 10 times so I can get it the same day. I won't spend the money on the good one, but that's life <laughs> in general. Now, I always joke about this as well, and I know we don't have a lot of restrictions on what we can say, but I look at real estate agents like this and just hypothetically imagine being a 22-year-old guy. You know, their, their whole dating life right now is on a phone, swipe right, swipe left. Or if I can't find the person I can hook up with today, I'm moving on to the next one. They take that relationship mindset into business. If you're not going to sell your home today, I'm going to go find some that will. But tomorrow they might want to do it, but you've already burnt the relationship. If we don't get what we want from the interaction the minute we have it, we move on to somebody else. We've lost patience. We've lost the ability to follow something through to the end. It's kind of depressing when you think about it that way, that that's the way that the generation that's coming through to real estate is going to see things, that they won't look at the sphere of influence and nurturing element of the business where the real gold is. 
Mm. I guess that, yeah, like like what we've always said, Aaron, you and I have had this conversation from day one. You actually don't need to be good at your job, like scripts, dialogues or anything like that if you just nurture the relationships that ultimately then you find because they'll call you and say, hey, come come on in, come on in and, and buy that property or come on in and, and list that property with me. And then ultimately, you know, that comes down to the fact that, well, hey, you know, I don't actually even need to present. Whereas these people that are getting these leads, you need to actually be great at conversion. And because you, you, you're selling strangers on you, no wonder yeah. people get burnt out. Yeah, but I mean, the other thing to remember too is all these people pushing scripts and dialogues about the greatest conversion. We're talking to freaking people. Every one of them is going to have a different pain point, a different want, a different need. And all we're trying to do is sell something down the throat of what we think they want. We're not curious enough to ask the right questions to see what the conversion will be because we've got this one focus about how do I get you to give me money right now? It's just life and gamble. It's what people are doing. But, you know, it's just an interesting thing. It's, it's, but everything around us is like that now. Everything we do is based on speed, how quickly we can get it. You know, it's, it's just how everything works in, in life in general. But real estate being a people goes, it'll never be about that. It's one of the emotional things, most emotional things that people go through. Yeah, and we're no, trying to take true. it out. The Speaking one of them. Throw on top yeah. of that, man, and it's something that sort of lines up with this. And, you know, I, th I think where everybody's going is this automation. And when we talk about legion, everybody wants to automate the relationships. They want to automate that. And now I do think automation is critical. But I think the things that are designed for our industry right now are actually designed to screw your business up. Because we're trying to automate the complete wrong part of our business. Everything the client doesn't see should be automatic. It should happen without a pro with a process. It shouldn't do. But the most human part of our business needs to be the front part, the engagement with the client. And every product out there right now is teaching you how to slide dials, teaching you how to send text campaigns. It's eliminating the emotion from the conversation, which gives us the what everything we need to do deals. Yeah. The emotional response. Yeah. And that's and that's the one thing that when it comes down to it, when the robots get close to replacing us, is that that's the one thing that everybody's going to want back into this is the emotion, because the emotion is the thing that there's no algorithm or or process that is going to replace us if we really hone that. Now, mate, I do want to I want to I want to segue here because I, I want to talk about speaking of emotion is that you do a lot of business in the mortgage industry over the last couple of, you know, over the last six it's months. It's emotional space right now, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I want to talk to you about like, like I've got, I've got, I've got realtors that we deal with that, you know, haven't done deals for six months because the mm. market literally dried up from a transaction perspective. But, you know, they can cry all they want, but realistically the mortgage market dried up just as much, if not more. Quite a so, bit more. Yeah. So, so mate, what, talk to me one about the industry, but talk to me two about what are you telling the LOs and the, and the, and the people that you're operating in that space at the moment? I'm just interested from a mental set, how you're helping them reset or how you're helping them hang in. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a, it's a very good question. Because funny enough, what, what predominantly what I'm doing in the mortgage world is teaching lenders how to deal with realtors. So it's like, kind of like that, <laughs> a joke about it. They sort of kind of sound like the realtor whisperer because it, you know, it's, a, it's a different language. We all do it. But ironically, the mortgage business is sold by product. You know, it's, it, and you know, we've got a lot of very successful people we work with that have great relationships and so forth. But generally, the mortgage business is a product. Who's got the cheapest rates? So forth. That's the door opener. And so the big thing we're focusing on with them, and they have been hit a lot harder. You know, we've got you know, some of the biggest name brands in the country, you know, doing $40 million in 2021 and now doing three or four billion dollars, I should say. So we're talking about some serious cutbacks. There's been more layoffs in the mortgage business than any other industry as far as I'm aware. Um, you know, they're expecting at least about a 50% reduction in the amount of lenders in the industry by the by middle of this year, which is huge. That's massive. Um, 
But the big thing with lenders is we've got to start getting, they're definitely, and, and for me, the mindset we're teaching them is the three-dimensional business model because they're very one-dimensional. They look at every realtor like their opportunity. They look at every client like their opportunity where mortgage is such, a, and for me, it's the most emotional part of it because, I mean, if I use you to buy a home, you've done all the good stuff. You've found the home that I like. If I'm the lender, I'm the asshole that determines whether you can afford it. Yeah, but yeah, the yeah. the most emotional part of it. And so for me, it's really creating an experience that makes the mortgage part of it a little bit more enjoyable because that waiting moment to find out whether you can actually qualify for the mortgage to buy the home, that has literally been one of the worst experiences in the industry here because you sit back, you wait, you don't know whether you got it, and then you get a lucky surprise at the end of it. So it's teaching them how to elevate the experience that the lender, that the realtor goes through and the realtor's client goes through and how that process can actually help them grow their business. Now, we've had quite a few LOs that we work with that were doing sort of one or two million dollars a month that are now doing 15 million dollars a month because the referral business and mortgage works just as well if not better than it does in real estate because i now i do have a product and it is also a very funky thing to go through um and we see so many deals fall over i mean at one point there we had a 50 something percent fall out of escrow rate because mm -hmm. we are we are literally selling homes to people based on a shitty piece of paper that they've downloaded online saying hey based on the lie you just told me you can afford this home yeah. They go and put somebody's home under contract based on that. So it's yeah. teaching them how to run that model a little bit better. But also, so you're, refer you're referring to the pre-approval document or whatever that you've basically they've just lied on and had it all. Or, yeah, <laughs> here's a pre-approval for two million. Yeah. Really, you can only 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 apply for a million. You a job when you make forty grand a year, I'm good with that. Sounds like a good deal. Yeah. Mate, I've never thought about the relationship that way, actually, with the mortgage side of it. I, I've on, honestly never thought about it as deeply as as as, as what I have right now, in the mm -hmm. sense that I didn't even go into into thinking that, you know, the real estate agent really does take all the glory out of the transaction from the mortgage perspective, because the mortgage person, like you said, will make the decision on whether or not they can have their dream home, but also they're the ones to probably point out some of the stupid emotional decisions, buying that car or not paying that credit card off or mm -hmm. whatever it may be is the thing that actually stopped you from doing it and you know there's a there's such a thing as shooting the messenger <laughs> well funny enough you, i mean how many deals have we, i mean i know personally i've experienced this where i've had a deal that might have gone sideways because of the lender that i'd referred them to that was all my fault i never got it's okay it wasn't your fault they come back and go what the hell were you doing it plays such a major part of the role um, and we've we've had a couple, a couple of mortgage companies that I've worked with now. You've actually met one of my good clients, Ty, and taken them from zero to three or four billion dollar companies by focusing on that strategy. That the more realtors that support us, the more people that bring volume through, the whole things are connected. Hmm. But funny story, when I was selling real estate, my lender was an critical part of my business, and I gave him a business card, and his title was payroll. Because huh. if he didn't do his job right, nobody got paid. Like that's the way we've got to look at that position. You wouldn't be doing half the deals you do with right now with all the lenders if you looked at them as the person responsible for you getting paid. You'd be going, hell no, would I ever let that person touch my business? The seriousness of that role, and, and that's probably one of the things that defines my top performing realtors, is the relationships they have with those key partners in their business. It's not the person who's giving you 500 bucks for leads. It's the person who's helping you call your database. It's the person who's being a resource and helping you cross-qualify every loan. Like It's such a critical part of the business. And so for me, that marriage was a natural thing for me to go to because if I could fix that, it helps instant growth in their business. Right. You've got to find the right LOs, but it's it's a bloody good process when you get it right.
The one thing made on the final closing note of this session, because I think there's been a great deal of value that's come out of this from a, from a perspective of people being able to look at some of the information that you've given them today and they can possibly go back and work on the characteristics of, of their own business and how they're doing it. But uh, the next the next 12 months is going to be a decorative um, and colourful experience. There's no question about that. And it may even be longer. Who knows? And whether that be prices coming down or just lack of transactions, I think that we're not in a recession from a perspective of pricing, but we are in a recession from a perspective of volume there's no question about that mm-hmm. but mate, what would you say is the one thing for realtors and anybody listening in whatever industry that they're in at the moment that they should be doing over the next 12 months to ensure that they get through this in a in a way that they come out stronger at the end mm, good question um it's probably a change on a couple of things and i think the first thing that i probably would bring up in that is that you know everybody talks about consistency you know be consistent in your business i think we kind of we kind of got to burn that we got a lot of people being super consistent on really average shit that doesn't work. I mean, that's, there's no glory in that. And I think the replacement for consistency is you've got to be bloody persistent on the things that you know that work. And along with that being persistent is you can't stop doing the things that you do that you know that are going to work because one asshole has a problem with it. You know, we get on social media, one person has a problem with what we do, so we stop. You know, we're, we're basing a lot of decisions on one or two bits of negative feedback. In my life, it's 51%. If 51% of people hate it, I stop doing it. 50-50, I'm leaning on my side of doing it. But this <laughs> is a big part of it, is that you know, we're in one of those markets now where you know the results aren't coming as quick. You have to really believe in what you're doing, be super persistent. The second thing for me is we've got to start getting a lot more curious about what we're doing. We've got to stop, stop trying to push people and start asking the right questions. You and I both know, buddy, if you ask enough questions, you'll eventually get the answer that you want rather than trying to force your opinions. And the more curious we get, the more answers we're going to, you know, and the more solutions we're going to get to the problems we have in front of us. So doing that. And then the third one that I would be focusing on is patience. We haven't had to have had patience for years. Everything was a transaction that happened in, you know, two or three hours for the last couple of years. And unfortunately, with what happened in 2020 and 2021, it lasted for so long that it actually created a lot of bad habits. And we lost our patience. You know, if we weren't getting the result real quick, we'd move on. So we've got to bring that back and be persistent, get real curious and ask the right questions because most of the people we're talking to don't know what they need right now. There's still confusion in the market. And then the third, if you're just really, really patient with what happens, the result will always come. And I use a term all the time in my coaching is that if you remove time frame from everything, don't base anything you do based on when you're going to get paid, but base it on the process of what you're doing and let the process roll out. You'll always get the rewards. Because the day you quit, because you're, you know, you're not being persistent or you've just really given up on the process, you're just generating business for somebody else. Those three things, you can control every one of them, and it is a game changer in everything that you do. Well, folks, there's some gems there, and uh, hopefully you've gotten as much out of today as certainly I have. I do love philosophizing the industry with you, mate, and uh, and certainly it's been not only is is it been great to recap the decorative journey that you've had. I think that everybody can understand that you've had a probably a perspective that very few people have had across as many places and industries as what you've been able to be exposed mm-hmm. to. So there's certainly some value in everything that you're saying. So, mate, thanks for joining us on Rethink Real Estate. My pleasure being here. Uh, really, really, you know, appreciate shooting the shit with you, Ben, and talking about the market it's a place that you and i are very passionate about and hey i think you know we've all got opinions and you know we've all got our own views and our own thoughts on what it is and you know maybe it's time that we as, as an industry started thinking for ourselves and stop listening to the wrong people you know maybe take the good out of it deal with that forget about the bad stuff because i know for a fact ben the reason i still have a job is when people come to an event they go 90 percent of what he said i love but those two or three things that he said don't like it so i'll never do it but they come back two months later and keep coming to the events Exactly right, mate. People just need to start doing some stuff, you know. 
chase some failure, make some mistakes, learn what you've got to fix. You know, just don't let fear get in the way of trying stuff. Chase some failure. That's nice. That's good. So folks, uh, if you are looking to get in touch with Aaron, I've got all of his details in the show notes as long, along with the website as well that you definitely need to check out, which is Sellwell, which can give you some really good perspective on everything in the industry. But uh, mate, again, thank you for joining us. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you as always, buddy. So about 75% of our audience hasn't liked, followed, or subscribed to our podcast. It would mean the world to us, and it would help this podcast more than you know to expand our reach if you were to like, follow, or subscribe on any of the platforms that you're watching or listening on. Thanks again.